electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer, and today on Squawk Pod, billionaire hedge funder David Tepper. He's very good at figuring out the macro and seeing the bets that he should make along the way as a result. A rare extended interview with one of Wall Street's most successful managers, where he's putting his money and where he's not. I would probably say I'm leaning short on the equity markets. Short equities and short bonds. What Tepper expects from central banks. So I can't like bonds that much, particularly in, you know, Europe. I can't love the two-year here, which is trading at 420. That big interview plus the people of the week, Sam Bankman-Fried back in the U.S. and President Volodymyr Zelensky making a very different kind of appeal to the U.S. Congress. Ukrainian courage and American resolve must guarantee the future of our common freedom. It's Thursday, 12-22-22. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand back you by in three, two, one. Cue it, please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We're live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick along with Joe Kernan. Andrew is off this week, and we've been watching what's been happening. Well, Mr. President, it's good to have you back. It's an honor to be by your side in the United Defense against what is a brutal, brutal war. 300 days. Hard to believe. 300 yeah. days. Thank you so much. Mr. President, great honor for me to be here. The joint meeting will come to order. Madam Speaker, the President of Ukraine. His Excellency Volodymyr Zelensky, President of the Ukraine. Ukraine President Volodymyr Zelensky speaking with President Biden in a joint session of Congress yesterday. Kayla Tausche joins us right now with the big takeaways. Kayla, good morning. Good morning, Becky. In his first trip outside Ukraine since the war began, President Volodymyr Zelensky appealed to the Biden administration, members of Congress and the American people that the war continues, but its second year, he says, will be a turning point. Our two nations are allies in this battle. And next year will be a turning point. I know it, the point when Ukrainian courage and American resolve must guarantee the future of our common freedom, the freedom of people who stand for their values. Happy, victorious new year. Slava Ukraine. Zelensky still donning military sweats after visiting the front lines the day prior, presenting a Ukrainian flag to the vice president and House Speaker and praising the American military might that has helped his army succeed. But he said with some levity, they need more. We have artillery. Yes. Thank you. We have it. Is it enough? Honestly, not really. 
But several elements of assistance still remain off the table, according to senior administration officials and lawmakers. That includes fighter jets, longer-range missiles that could hit inside Russia, and more lethal drones still seen as having the potential to widen the war. Zelensky's impassioned plea for more aid comes as some House Republicans grow skeptical of providing that aid set to top $100 billion this week. Zelensky's message was, this is not charity. Becky? Kayla, thank you very much. Uh, helps to be able to, to come uh, to a joint session of Congress and speak so clearly and, and speak English to, to you know, a lot of times uh, with the translator. Use, and, and amazing. Um, if I had to give a speech in Ukrainian, it would, uh, I think a lot would get lost in the translation. I would agree. It went from comedian, someone that, that uh, you know, people said, well, he, how can he be the president of a country too? Unbelievable. I, I know, 300 days, over 300 days. Um, Patriot missiles now, and I don't know what, you know, Putin saber-rattling about nukes again. And, uh, well, and saying that there's no limit to the amount that they will spend to fund this war. And that calls are louder for some type of negotiated peace. Henry Kissinger, others saying that that's the only way this is going to end. And, but then you hear Putin say never. Well, be well you also have heard Zelensky say never. Yeah, also Putin and, and Ukraine. Yeah, yeah. Putin yeah. and Zelensky say never on this. Um, we'll see. The question is, does that message carry over into the next Congress? Um, was he successful in it? And that we will see. Last week, we announced charges against Samuel Bankman-Fried for a sweeping fraud scheme that contributed to FTX's collapse. FTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried is back on U.S. soil after a flight late last night. That news comes as two of his former associates have pleaded guilty to fraud charges and are cooperating with prosecutors. Mackenzie Sagalos joins us right now with more on this. Mackenzie, um, guessing this was not a coincidence, just the idea that we now learn of his two former associates who are cooperating after he took that flight back to U.S. soil. Yeah, and what's actually interesting about the timing here is that those plea deals were entered on Monday in a sealed hearing, which was the day that Bankman-Fried was expected to come back. That was before uh, Bahamian bureaucracy got in the way. So last night, the U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York held this surprise press conference. Damien Williams said that Caroline Ellison, the former head of Alameda Research, as well as Gary Wang, the co-founder of FTX, had pleaded guilty to multiple criminal charges that they helped orchestrate a years-long scheme to defraud investors of FTX. First, I'm announcing that the Southern District of New York has filed charges against Caroline Ellison, the former CEO of Alameda Research, and Gary Wang a co-founder of FTX, in connection with their roles in the frauds that contributed to FTX's collapse. Both Ms. Ellison and Mr. Wong have pled guilty to those charges, and they are both cooperating with the Southern District of New York. Ellison pleaded guilty to seven criminal charges, including wire fraud. Wang pleading guilty to four counts, including conspiracy to commit securities fraud. We also had parallel filings from the SEC and the CFTC, now, despite getting cooperation credit, neither defendant received a sweetheart deal here. They pleaded guilty to multiple felonies, and a former federal prosecutor tells me they will each likely spend years in prison. Ellison's plea deal carries a max sentence of 110 years. Wang faces a max sentence of 50 years. This also puts Bankman-Fried in a very difficult, if not impossible, position. He will be it will be incredibly tough for him to beat those eight criminal charges against him. And prosecutors have no incentive to cut him a break, which probably explains why the feds felt comfortable indicting him so quickly. This is, I mean, did they 
play him in this situation? I mean, he, he gave up his right to extradition. They kept it secret for a while. These plea deals coming out. And how were they able to get such quick cooperation when they aren't getting much leniency for those, those two people who flipped? Yeah, I mean, to, to your first point, we knew for weeks that someone on the inside was likely cooperating. A lot of people speculated that it was indeed Ellison, so there wasn't much of a surprise there. We also found out that another uh, deputy of his who wasn't named in the paperwork last night, making him even more conspicuous, was Ryan Salem. He had talked to Bahamian regulators, then headed to D.C. So, there, you know, conspiracy charges, of course, you're going to have other people involved. So that wasn't much of a surprise. I think that, you know, to your other question, uh, was he played? Was there some sort of, uh, did he cut a bad deal with this understanding that he'd have more leniency? And I, th I think that everybody's just doing what they think is best. Like, they are going to get time shaved off of their sentence. Ellison, very likely, from what I'm hearing, won't get those uh, that 110-year sentence. So this was just the best-case scenario. And if everybody's singing, you better sing quickly because right. they're going to find out what happened. Um, and that's what Damian Williams, so the U.S. attorney for SDNY, was saying last night. He's like, get ahead of this because we're going aggressively after everyone who is tied to the FTX Alameda empire. So you're better off voluntarily coming to us now because if not, we're coming after you. Like, he has not minced words here, and he has made uh, good on these indictments and, and rolling them out quite quickly. Maybe we'll figure out sooner rather than later what actually happened, what went down. Um, he, he, Sam Bankman-Fried had twice tried to get bail in the Bahamas and was unsuccessful. There had been, uh, there's been talk that he'll try to do that here. Is there any chance you think that he'll be given bail, particularly if he's facing 100 plus years in, in prison? You know, the conditions at Fox Hill are notoriously terrible. Uh, and he did try, as you said a couple of times, to get out on bail. That wasn't going to happen in the Bahamas. There are multiple reports that his legal team had been in conversations to get him out on bail once he arrived to New York. We'll find out whether that's actually going to happen at an arraignment that's probably going to happen today. It has to happen within 48 hours of him coming back. That's when we'll have clarity. But to your larger point here, I mean, he's a flight risk. And that's what the Bahamians had cited as their reason for not granting bail. And like he has, I mean, it's unclear whether or not he has the resources to even put up what he would have to as sufficient collateral. I mean, he said he was down to his last $100,000. Meanwhile, Madoff had to post $10 million in multiple mansions. And it's just unclear what even belongs to Bankman fried at this point. Are Gary Wang and Caroline Ellison out? Um, I, there are reports that they're out on bail. It was $250,000 for each of them. I have not independently confirmed that yet, uh, but that's, the, that's what's out there right now. Mackenzie, thank you. Cheese will be next. Still to come, short on bonds, short on equities. Billionaire hedge funder David Tepper unpacks his portfolio plays and interprets the Fed's strategy in a special interview you'll only get right here. They're going to keep rates high for a while. If you believe there's this underlying inflation rate, you know, sort of labor-based inflation rate, that makes a lot of sense. It also makes a lot of sense to ECB and BOE and all the rest of those central banks. Squawk Pod will be right back. We could try to explain what it's like to get your work done on a John Deere mower, compact tractor, or Gator XUV. But to really understand the feeling, you just have to get in the seat. Learn more at johndeere.com slash get in the seat or visit a dealer near you. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. 
specialised across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Stand by, Joe. His mic, Q. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box here on CNBC Live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Joe Kernan, along with Becky Quick. We're going to talk much more about the markets. Hedge fund titan uh, David Tepper will join us. We've had him on sporadically, but it's, it's rare when, when he comes on for an extended interview. And, you know, in the past he has uh, had some very um, important calls. Many of them uh, are borne out. He is one of the most successful hedge fund managers uh, around, you know, people like our friend Stan Druckenmiller has said that, you know, Stan does a family office now. Right. He doesn't do other people's money anymore. And he said that Tepper is the closest, I don't know if he still says it, he said this maybe a year ago, Tepper makes the kind of bets that he used to make when he had a lot more intestinal fortitude. Uh, it, it, <laughs> I wondered how you were going to massage yeah, that. Yeah, well, he says, you know, at this point in his life, he's, it's, it's, he doesn't take the big swings, and he says, but this guy still doesn't. I mean, it's a guy who, who has made certain years, makes a, a number that starts with a B, which yeah. is hard to even imagine, but it, and, and it's performance-based most of the time, right. all the time, really. Well, it, I don't know how Appaloosa did in, in the past year. We'll, we'll, I don't know how much clarity we'd get on that, but it's a tough, been a tough year for everyone. It has. I, I mean, I, I think back to some of the big calls he's made, though. Yeah. The Tepper, the taper, Tepper, 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 yeah. Tepper right. Taper tantrum and some of the things that we went through. He's, he's very good at figuring out the macro and then determining how that's going to play out, not just seeing the macro, then seeing the bets that he should make along the way as a result. And, you know, I... I talk to him occasionally most of the time it's not necessarily for um for for air but he has said a couple of things to me just about you know that uh if you thought the fed put was still around you this was like i don't know if it was a year ago but it was a while ago said if you think the fed put's still around you're you're sorely mistaken that was I mean, one that's, thing he said really interesting just to see yeah. how he changed because he was the one who saw that the Fed was moving everything. That was going to be the only way to play things. You can't fight the Fed. How did he change his playbook up right. as a result of seeing that the Fed put's just gone? And sometimes he's like Socrates because he... he uh, Socratic method. He asked me questions about six months ago when I was... I think I made the bet with Alarian or something. He goes, have you ever seen a, a, a lasting bottom without some type of capitulation? Oh, great. <laughs> well, that was a while ago. But, but then what if it was, uh, well, that's what, the if same thing what if it's length of time rather than just a, a sharp. But that's the same thing Druckenmiller will well, do in delivering alpha this year. Well, I know. He's concerned about periods where you see a 10-year no movement in stocks. I definitely want to ask him, uh, I definitely want to ask him that. We're joined now by a very special guest to talk markets uh, in the economy, David Pe Tepper, founder and president of Appaloosa Management. David, thanks for coming on. Um, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, Happy New Year. We're covering all our bases here. Uh, when, when, I, <laughs> when I say Happy New Year, we're at Times Square. Uh, it's going to be crazy in, in a little over a week. Uh, in your view, is it going to be a Happy New Year? With what we saw in the last year, couldn't be, couldn't be uh, I don't know whether we'd characterize it as happy. Family issues matter, obviously, but 40-year highs in inflation. The Fed uh, in, in a tightening phase like we haven't seen, and a bear market. 
Similar for next year, do you think? Similar in that we'll have this big of a decline. Is that what you're saying? Similar that the, will it be a tightening year for the Fed? Will inflation uh, be on all of our radar screens for, for, for the foreseeable future? Well, talk about things one at a time. Inflation, um, goods inflation is coming down. You know, you see it, you know, every day. Um, I think that the uh, Fed expects that and it's kind of in forecast and people are getting excited because of that. On the other hand, you have a, you have a dislocation, a, a structural change in the labor markets where you have labor shortages and potential cost push inflation for as far as the eye can see. So I think once we get down to a certain level of inflation, whatever that level is, it's going to be very stubborn. And the Fed kind of knows that. And because of that, this Fed and the ECB and the BOE, and as we saw was yesterday, the day before yesterday, I get my days in Japan mixed up sometimes, um, the BOE actually uh, have tightened. Um, and the ECB and the uh and the Fed have uh, and the BOE have signaled future tightenings. So yeah, we're going to have a lot more tightenings. In they, Joe, as I told you once before, ten years ago, sometimes they just tell you what they're going to do, and you got to believe them. I kind of believe them. The the and it's global um, for that matter. So we can always yeah. You know, you have the Fed. It's at uh, you know it's four and a quarter. I guess four point three two or something like that. This morning, they put out their forecast probably reaches a peak of five and a quarter sometime this year, and they're going to keep rates high for a while. I mean, that's what their forecasts say. Um, if you believe there's this underlying uh, inflation rate, uh, you know, sort of labor-based inflation rate, that makes a lot of sense. It also makes a lot of sense to the ECB and BOE and all the rest of those central banks. And I think they all kind of see that and not want to see kind of get out of control. If you look at the... Um, <laughs> I mean, the ECB last week on, um, you know, the <laughs> Fed came out and the Fed was, he wasn't easy, but he kind of projects like a teddy bear. You know, you want to cuddle him when he speaks. And so the market kind of cuddles him. Even though he's a bear, he's like kind of a soft little fuzzy bear. And then you have ECB comes the next day and she's like a grizzly bear. She's growling. And she comes out and she says directly, listen, we're doing 50 now. We're definitely doing 50 again. Next next meeting we have, I guess it's on February 3rd. And then we're going to do another 50. And then we're likely to do another one after that. We'll see how the data goes. So she's basically telling me she's going to go to 3 or 350 over there in Europe. They're doing starting QT in Europe. They have QT going in the beginning of January here. The BOE is doing QT. Um, I don't know. I got everybody tightening and telling me they're going to tighten more and QT. And I got markets that just don't believe it i mean i got a <laughs> a german two year at 252 um when they're, they're they'll be able to make money putting in the bank if she goes to 350 by 350 by um april 14th uh, i so i can't like bonds that much particularly in you know europe i can't love the two year here which is trading at 420 <laughs> When, I'm, when they're going to tell me they're going to go higher and stay high, you know, how, how do I like that stuff? And when I don't like, it, you know, the short end of the curve, and I don't know how it feeds into the longer end of the curve at some point. I mean, it makes it kind of a very uh, tough competition for other assets. I mean, that's.
That's what they're telling you. I, 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 I don't tell you that. That's what they're telling you. Oh, and you told me, I don't know when it was, but you've believed them all along. And you, and you, I you told, told me you that back in 2010, you, two things. Okay, a long time ago. <laughs> this is a long time ago, Joe. I know you. You know, you, it feels like I've been married to you for a long time. You nag me as much as uh, we've been married for a long. Time. <laughs> in, um, a good, in a good way. If in it's a love, good way. So it's love. always a good way. It's always a good way. Um, but um, you know, back then I was we were talking about the white paper they did with the banks, and they told you what they were going to do. You know, and I said, okay, I believe what they were going to do. And then when we when it was QE at the time, 2010, I said, listen, they, you know, the Fed had a put. I said, it's kind of easy in a way because they're telling you what they're going to do. So, I, I you know, I kind of tend to believe when they tell me they're actually going to do something. They may change it, but that's what they told me they were going to do. Now I'm supposed to now, after that great formula that's been working since 2010, if I'm listening to what people tell me what they're going to do, now I'm not going to believe what they're going to tell me, tell me what they're doing. This is what I'm deciding I'm not going to believe what they're telling me what they're doing. Now, the market is like saying, okay, they're not going to carry forward because we already see this inflation going down, but they're looking at that services inflation and not looking what may be structural or mis, uh, mis, misaligned labor markets versus labor demand versus labor supply. That's out here. The participation rate of older folks over 55 um, is sinking, and you can't let, and immigrants can't work in this country despite, uh, you know, we have to change that policy to get them in here and working. Again, we're a million short. You read that all over the place. So I think there's those sort of things and um, that they're worried about. All these feds are worried about at the same time. I hate when I have coordinated tightening. I mean, we have coordinated tightening. And then I have coordinated tightening. For, now, the Japan's not saying they're going to do more, but I got three other central banks telling me they're going to do more. Coordinated tightening doing more. QT <laughs> at a pretty swift pace of 95 million Billion. I got my millions of big starting in, you know, in January. The ECB, QT. The BOE, QT. I, I don't know. You know, I'm I'm a simple guy, Joe. I'm not that smart, but I kind of listen to those those sort of folks. And you told me, yeah, that the Fed put that 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 you rode to great success. That that is that's gone dead and buried. What what about that, David? You also point out that. Even with so these it's not buried. It, it just may be a, a thousand S and P's lower, points lower, yeah. or fifteen hundred S and P points lower. It's just nowhere near. Yeah, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, and they're basically, they're you know, listen, they're basically not happy to have um, asset inflation here to oh, to lean into the other things that work. The 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 Fed's job is, it, is tougher because, as you point out, that some financial conditions have actually loosened, and you mentioned earlier. Just a few, few seconds ago, that the market doesn't seem to believe the Fed. Does that? What does that mean? Is that they? So they have to even act tougher, talk tougher, do more things to. to well, uh, here's here's the risk. Okay, you have um, you know housing starts out yesterday, and you saw they decline. But the truth is, um, that was in November where rates peaked, mortgage rates peaked in the early November. Well, they're down 90 basis points since then. Okay, that doesn't really help you a lot. Junk spreads. Um, down 150 basis points since their peak in early October, late September. That doesn't really do a lot for you if you're the Fed. Um, the 10-year Treasury, which you're, you know, which you see every day, down 60 basis points. Well, that doesn't do a lot for you if you're the Fed. All these different things being easier since then. Obviously, the stock market since those 3,600 lows up near 10 percent. Well, that doesn't do much for you if you're the Fed. And by the way, talking about how much the market's down or not down since 19 before COVID, we've probably got seven, eight percent annual returns to this point right now where we're sitting. 
That's not so bad, Joe. I mean, historically. Now, this year's not good, but the last three years, and I'm not talking the COVID lows, I'm talking 19, the end of 19, before COVID. I mean, we have reasonable returns for the last three years based on that rate. Um, and, you know, I don't know if 19 was exactly the end of 19. What do you exactly call a, a, you know, a low point in the market before COVID struck? So, um, I mean, I'm looking at that and I got I got a, I mean, we don't have coordinated tightening around the whole world and everybody tightening at the same time too often. You just don't. And I don't have people telling me they're going to go further tightening. You just don't. And they don't tell me where they're going to go too often. And you just don't. And I don't have a, two years and two years here below where they tell me going to go when, if they go that way on average so far below it. You just don't. So I have these, you want to call them, you know, and I understand that you get other people saying inflation is down and they should do this and they should do that. Well, they're telling me what they want to do and they know all this stuff that all these other people do because they're worried about this other underlying um, mismatch of the labor market, I think. I think, you know, that they're worried about that. They may be worried about other things, but just they don't want inflation to take hold and they don't want it to get higher. You don't want to have a steady state that you think after you do things of four, you know, four percent or four and a half, you know, four percent call it. You know, they want inflation at two percent. So they're looking at beyond when inflation comes down from eight percent to, you know, it's going to come down to four percent or something like that. They don't want a persistent four percent. They want to get in front of that. A little bit because they're very they're fairly nervous about that they're nervous about it the BOE is nervous about it the um the ecb is nervous about it you know so it's it's it is what it is but i can't imagine you're throwing in the towel and, and closing up shop over this it's it's a tough environment but what are you doing <laughs> no we're not closing up shop now um look uh, listen what i do and what you know, other people do, you know, what normal investors that look at the show. I mean, you're supposed to always hold stocks and get look through these things and own for long long term to, you know, to, to a certain extent. So that does that means if your stock portfolio is your your you you range your stock portfolio from fifty to sixty percent long to ninety percent long, you should probably be less long. That's what that means to me. You know, because the average person should not be moving around things. And I keep some things because of taxes and other reasons. You know, Warren Buffett would always keep things forever, so he doesn't have to pay taxes on it. Um, but for me, for, as, a, as a hedge fund manager, I'm going to lean uh, short. You know, I'll be, you know, sh I'll be short bonds. And I'll, I'm not a great, I'm I like generally an optimist. You know, I have just the way I'm, I just have that sort of uh, lean that way. So it's like, I don't, I'm not, I, I would probably say I'm leaning short on the equity markets. Right. You know, so right now, because I think they're, you know, I think the upside downside just doesn't make sense to me when I have so many people telling me, so many central banks telling me what they're going to do, what they want to do, what they expect to do. I mean, it has to get, and it has to, and, and everybody, people come on and say, well, this is going on. They know that stuff, but they're worried about the underlying stuff. And so you have to worry what they're worried about. And by the way, if you think that they're wrong, you know, out there because it's going to go down. Yeah, well, maybe, you know, maybe they'll cause and maybe they, they realize it. And I don't know what they're saying because they can't say it, but maybe there will be a, you know, a small recession of some sort and will affect prices. And, you know, and, you know, with the market, <laughs> listen, you see these, I saw somebody else on your show the other day, they had a 220 price target, 220 uh, earnings estimate for the S&P. Well, these interest rates, it's kind of hard to have a higher, they were putting a really high multiple. And I'm saying, why am I still putting these high multiples of like, when I had 1% rates, 
on these things. I got to put more bulls to realistically of the market. So that's a question of the stock market right now. What should be the multiple? And Joe, you you're you've been around for a lot of markets. Not to give your age away on TV, but um, you know these multiples. What should the multiple be? We lived through multiples of when I was when, for instance, when we were talking 2010, the multiple was like 11, 12 back then. Okay, coming out of 2009, and those were in those rates. I mean. You know, to get to, you know, this multiple now is, you know, if you had 220 times, 225 times 16 is 3,600. I mean, I'm just, I'm not suggesting 225 is right. Or and you can see what people are forecasting, forecasting on your show. You know, if it's a 16 multiple, you know, in those days, you would have said, great. Going from 2010, we talked about those days. I go to 12 to 16, that's a 33% increase right. in multiple. David, do you, do you uh, will there be a time when, and I don't know what your gut tells you on, on when things uh, improve. And, and what, what leadership would you see coming out of this? And, and in your gut, saying coming out of this, are, are, we had Stan Druckenmiller. I know you guys, you guys talk. And, and Stan thinks we may have muted returns for a longer period than we're used to because of some of, the, uh, some of our unfunded liabilities, some of the $31 trillion, for, for whatever reason. Um, do you see this eventually? In, in What's your gut for how long, and what would lead us out of it at that point? What, well, what there's, so much, there's still so much post-COVID um, balance sheets. Fed's balance sheet is fairly big, and that's why they're taking it down. People have a lot of cash still from COVID savings and money that was given to them. So, you know, the market probably staying higher than it should be. I mean, if that's the case, I think Stan's probably right. Um, obviously, if the market went down a thousand S&P points, you wouldn't have music meter returns on the upside. I'm not suggesting it's going down a thousand S&P points, by the way. Um, you know, I mentioned, you know, if you were 16 times to 225, but, the, you know, depends what you do. Say, say, think it's going to be 200 next year, that's 3,200. If you think 16 is too high, 15 is more the right multiple, you know, if you had... 220 that's uh, you know 3300 or something of that sort i think that's right i think still got math skills of some sort um so then the returns would be bigger than them from, from here i would have to tend to agree with stan this is going to be um this is a tough level to uh talk about robust returns particularly in, the, in you know the next year particularly when you have the feds the feds plural in such a tightening mode and the markets you know, or the, the U.S. Treasury or the, if I you want to use a bond against what it, uh, I can just deposit my money or the deposit rate will be for the ECB, so much below what that average is going to be over the, what they're forecasting that average to be over the next two years. So that does this two year, if the Fed does a forecast this two year and our two year, the U.S. two year, and, and I could go further out of the curve, it's easy to do this one, it has to, has to go up in yield has to go i mean if it, that happens it has to mathematically has to go up in yield um you'll do, you'll do a lot better over the next two years you know just in those really short rates if they do that then that's just a big differential right now so i mean you know it's kind of what it is i i, I mean those are the numbers yeah. i don't make up those numbers you can go read the you know just go through what they said last wednesday and last thursday you, you understand what i'm saying this is like it's believe, what yep. people I understand. To believe what they tell us, but they, uh, we can we may not nail exactly what the S&P is going to be, whether it's 220, 210, 230, whatever it is. And, and then you got to worry about maybe profit margins, too. So maybe maybe that's too 
too optimistic, 220. And then if you put 15 on that, you're down in the low 3,000. So it's pretty simple. Yeah. Uh, and Joe, this is the problem. This is my problem right now. I understand that the Fed could be wrong, that maybe they're being too tight or maybe the ECB too tight. And people are trying to think that they're going to go away from their path. Why? What do they know that, what are they, what is the difference that they're looking at that I'm looking at right now? That people think they're going to go away from that because they think that the headline's coming down. Of course the headline's coming down. We all know that. But that's not what they're fighting. So I'm, I'm trying to understand that. But I just, it is what it is. You, 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 know, you know what I'm saying? These, these central bankers are where they are. If they, they may be very right that they have to get ahead of this other stuff. And that's what they think. If they don't want to be known as people that didn't get ahead of this other things. As, as I said, this, you know, 4% or 35 and a half, three and three quarters percent inflation rate that they have to kill down to. You know, they want to get closer to 2%. Do you think, um, David, do you think that, that the, the the stubborn inflation that we're seeing is because of what you talked about with a, this different labor market? Do you think that we, we, we too much stimulus during the pandemic cre created too many dollars for too few goods, uh, the supply chain disruptions, energy policy? Is it all of the above for inflation? Well, I think you, you look at the numbers, and I'm just going to talk about the numbers. The participation rate of over 55 is very low around the world. Okay, that's the people that aren't back in the workforce. And I don't know why they're going back in the workforce so fast with this COVID as they get older, you know, and get close to the Social Security. So that's a bit more big, you know, you got the big baby boomers in here. The other issue is that we're short um, immigrant labor in this country uh, for, for different reasons. It's not getting into the labor force. And, you know, whether it's just uh, that we don't, we don't, we haven't had a good immigration policies for a while because of COVID or Trump policies, immigrants stopped coming, you know, stopped getting into the labor force. They came out of the labor force, and it's hard to get them back in the labor force. These, these political people that are coming uh, now, um, we don't have a good policy to, you know, this. You, you hear, they read these numbers about being a million people short of that frame. So from the lower participation rate that I think is a structural thing that probably doesn't come back around the world, and that we have a mismatch. So they have to figure out what is that mismatch. It is what it is. You know the, op you know the job openings, whatever it is, 10, 11 million openings and you know six, six million unemployed six six million unemployed that's a that's a gap it's not going away you know so you know you have to deal with that and that you know not letting that uh cause inflation to a certain extent i mean that's typical that'd be econ 101 type um cost push inflation and i think other people other central banks are worried about around the world i think that's what underlying they're worried about the world you'd have to talk to them um but um I think they're worried about that inflation rate that's going to be stubborn at three and a half, three and three quarters, four percent. And the market's getting excited because of rates coming down from, you know, whatever it is, eight percent to seven percent to six percent. Great. That's great. It's good. But the problem is the stubborn underlyingness that they're looking at and, and, and very difficult. And this is why the ECB said we were way behind the U.S., or the Fed will say, okay, we're going to go up to five and a quarter. Because if you believe that number is 4%, and I'm just throwing that out, it's very hard to kill it with a 4% Fed funds rate. David, um, you have been such a sage about following the broader macro picture, especially with what the Fed's been doing, other central banks, for a very long time. How long has it been since you've been leaning, um, I, I guess, short on, on equities? Well, I was probably not, I was probably leaning a little long on equities before um in the last couple of weeks i probably leaned short i, I was leaning long this, I, i've been having very small positions 
to tell you the truth, Becky, in the equity markets because it's that type of market. You know, I think you have to be very careful for as a hedge fund person. Okay, I just want to be clear versus what people should do with long-term investments. Um, but I mean, the ECB, man, she she grizzlied on me. I mean, I was like, you got to be kidding me when I was in there. And I actually I, I sent you the little paragraph that she said, so you guys have it on your phones. You know, you have any emails or whatever, you know, over there. Um, you can read it yourself. She says fifty next time, and then after that, and after that. Okay, <laughs> that's good. That's that's, that's not a warm fuzzy teddy bear. Teddy bear, like I said, I got the other guy. He still did say we're going to go to five and you know five and a quarter more or less, but hundred you know called seventy five hundred base higher. But he was doing it in such a warm fuzzy way, the market goes up. Well, she wasn't warm and fuzzy. She was protecting the German bears. Okay, remember, so David, when you. Uh it was not synchronized then, but everybody was thinking the, the long bond was going to, you know, the yield was going to rise very quickly. And you were talking about Japan, what was happening in Japan. And you made the call that we're probably going to stay about where we are, tread water, and the rates wouldn't just skyrocket. And that lasted for uh, like 10 months. And it was totally against consensus thinking. But that, your, your viewpoint then was informed by what was happening in Japan. We don't have that. We don't have that anymore. You got coordinated everywhere. <laughs> You do have it in a certain way. Unfortunately, it's going the other way. <laughs> the when other they way. move their band 25 basis points, it has a tendency to raise our tenure. You moved it, you know, whatever, because it has moved, you know, seven, eight basis points. Maybe that will move a little further to catch that move that Japan just did to widen their band. Um, you know, there are 38 basis points. You know, as I look on my screen, they can go to you know 50 bips. They could widen it again to 75 basis points. We'll tend to do the tenure uh, part of the curve. The, the Fed, if they were worried about mortgage rates, you know, uh, getting close to, you know, going down 100 basis points or whatever, could play a little twisty sort of game. And not that they will do this. They have that, but they did it on QE on the other side. Could go and sell 10 years if they wanted to. They, if they were worried about spring spring being a pickup in the spring of the economy. You have these recent rate moves in the real market rates, right? And this is just a fact. When you move from the low of four and a quarter to 365 right now, that's 60 bips. When you move 150 basis points from the lows, from the high, higher yields down on the, uh, on the CDX, on the high yield, that's a big move in market rates. When you move 90 basis points on mortgage rates from the peaks, that's a big move. And it's all easing moves in the market, in the longer parts of the curve. That cannot lead to um, tightening. Financial conditions have not tightened. Okay, recently in the last month. Now, you're getting housing data that came out was based on the highest rates possible that came out. Housing starts that came out yesterday, was it? I think yesterday morning. Yeah. So, listen, it is what it is. You know, people, yeah. right. <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? Everything yeah. I'm saying is just what it is. It is what the Fed is saying, what the ECB is saying. I could go quote the BOE, what the BOJ just did. And so, Becky, to answer your question, um, I have to now lean, and I, it's unnatural for me because I'm I'm an, I'm an optimist, so I have problems with it in some sense. But I'll do it, you know. I'm, you know, uh, you know. I have to lean a little short as a hedge fund person. And again, I'm going to tell you, for normal people, for normal investors out there, you should always keep your book. And we still have it inside the book. We do, you know, we'll sell spies or sell futures or something. But I'll still have my core positions because I don't want to, you know, turn them some of my core positions. So I hate that kind of mismatch, just running a book. But, you know, for regular investors, if they have a thing that's 50% needs to stay long for the long term, 
but don't be too long. I mean, if you have a range that you're comfortable with 50% to 80%, I just don't think you should be closer to the 80% side of that right now. If, I, if I'm a, a normal bit. person trying to play along at home based on following what you're doing, I, I think my option would be if I've got some cash sitting around, I, I sit on it and I wait. Because if I want to put money into the market, I want to wait for better prices. I guess that's right. But I just, you know, you were trying to do what I do. I mean, you know, I can be, you know, listen, if something happens, you know, I can. Well, I'm not going to change so fast right now because I just got this. It's just too many moves. You know what I'm saying? But I would not, you know, I can't tell you to follow what I'm doing. I just, I'm saying that you would want to stay long because you don't want to book mm-hmm. your portfolio and invest a little bit for the long term. I just think that you, if you have extra cash, maybe you do settle in a little bit. So, David, maybe that's there was another just, time where, where I asked you about, we were talking and, you know, I, I keep everything between us when, when you tell me to keep it between us. But you kind of intimated to me that, that you don't really see a really long lasting bottom unless you do have a pretty good flush. Uh, we never did get the flush, but we haven't made the bottom. And it, could this be a duration flush where it just, it, it, it may not be a, a, a spike like that, but it just, it goes on and on and on and people just. It could, you know, get- and that's what, Stan, that was, what you said Stan was talking about, which would be, you know, listen, I don't, you know, for me as a, as a, you know, as an investor, as a, you know, mutual fund investor, hedge fund investor, whatever, you would hate, you know, you don't want to have that because it just means, you know, you know, it's, not, it's, I don't call it misery, but it just makes it less, you know, it's harder to make money in this situation. It's much easier to make money on the long side of markets than to flutter around and, you know, go that way. I mean, you know, I'm, you know, I, you know, I, you know, I, I'm an optimist. I'm an optimist in the United States of America. I like to be an optimist on things like that. I am naturally that way. I believe in the country and I believe in the long term we're going to have growth and stuff. But we're in, it is one of those periods where you have these things going on. Yeah. You know, and okay. I can't, you know, you can't ignore it and everybody can't. And what you said is really true, Joe. You could just sit here more or less, you know, you know, fucks around the this level for a while. And, you know, it would make it a very for people that like professionals, you can make it a very difficult environment. And, you know, for individuals, uh, you know, like I said, over the long term, you know, yeah. it'll be fine in a way, you know, but uh, it kind of is what it is. Um but I think the important thing in the message, if there was a message here today, is just, you know, don't ignore what these guys are saying. And guys, and guys, I yeah. people can disagree with their policies and what they're doing, but they, you know, you have to believe that they see the landscape to a certain thing and they're doing it for the reason, kind of some of the reasons I'm talking about. And that if you're afraid of it, you know, I, I, and I don't think it's going to be, a, you know, I think they won't let a deep recession happen. In some sense, but you know, listen, it doesn't bear. It doesn't necessarily bear well for uh, earnings, and what the you know, and the outlook, and where I am on, um, you know, like we just said with the you know the short ends of these curves are you know problematic to me, um, you know, just because I tend to believe, as a base case, when these different central banks and other government officials tell me what they're going to do, it is it, it has worked for me. Over yep. time, and right. it, it, it has. And you know how it has because I talked about it. it. It was a really great thing on the one side, a real big opportunity. That you know, in 2010, with the Q, beginning of QE, and you know, saying you know, I said to you a long time ago, what will go up? Everything. Right. Now it's going to be. Like, it's going to be just difficult, just difficult for things to go up right now. I'll say it that way, okay? Because yep. of these banks and because of what they're saying, and I have to not believe them. Right. And, and it I'm could be, not. Could be a while. 
I'm gonna. We're gonna. We've been really generous with your time, and we. we you want to? You, you, Joe, you cannot whine at me and nag me for six months now. Okay. I won't. I'm not going to. You did over. it. I do the same thing with Stan. Everybody complains. That's what I have to do. I have to, I'm not. I'm not above begging. I'm just not. And and I do it. And I'm. Gonna, I told you I wouldn't. We're not going to talk any football. But I, you, are you optimistic on the Bengals at least? I mean, no. Don't answer that. I don't. I don't. Uh, I, I really didn't. I wasn't going to ask you anything. All right. Have a have a. You know what? Have a great holiday season. Have you know? Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah and all the rest. All, all right. right. And I'll thank see you. Again. Thanks for all, all your right. time, David. It's great. Thanks, David. Thanks. Um, that was interesting because that felt like one of his big calls. He's come on in the past and talked about how the tide is going this way and it's hard to fight. Biggest it. call was QE. Yeah. Everything's, everything's going, going up. up. And he said it. He said it at the now time. And he was QT. right for a long time. <laughs> Every, everything's the going tide's down. going out. Yeah. The tide's going out. And that's a big macro call. It's next to impossible to fight central banks. Now, the market has been of the opinion that the central banks are either bluffing or wrong and that they will. I know. Pull that's back what I've been things. hoping for. I, I thought they were talking about yeah. They're telling the truth. Right. At least that's what he thinks at this point. And it's worse when he made the point that it's worse when the markets don't listen because right. then, then their job is harder, conditions loosen, even though they're raising rates. And then they have to try even harder for credibility, which means more rate increases. Well, the, the other thing he said is this is not just about higher rates. He called it QT, quantitative tightening. So even if you're not raising rates at that point, yeah. you are continuing to shrink the balance sheet. And we don't really know the impact of shrinking trillions and trillions of dollars off balance sheets around the globe. Right. But I guess we're going to find out. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve with the help of T-Mobile for Business. Our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. And that is Squawk Pod for today. Thanks for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern to get the best of our TV show right into your ears for free every day. Follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.